Everlasting God, we come to you this day amidst all of the confusion of our lives and world. We feel caught up in the middle between those personal struggles that touch our lives so deeply and the greater struggles that have engaged our nation and our world. Vaccinations, deaths, health care, budgets, economic relief, climate change, immigration, race and racism, technology, another Zoom meeting, we are overwhelmed. And yet, in the midst of our struggles, loving God, you provide prophetic voices arising. You give a vision of the future that is larger than our narrow sight. Just as Jesus astonished the people of Galilee with his teachings and the miracle of his healing power, so you work among us today, surprising us with hope and joy. With Jesus has come the word that is stronger than evil, the word that gives, uh, gives and restores life. And so, as grateful recipients of your love and grace, we once again lift our prayers to you. We lift our prayers this day for all nations of our world that they might be guided in the ways that lead to peace and justice. We lift our prayers for our earth, that all of us might treat your creation with reverence and care. We pray for comfort and healing for those among us who suffer in mind, body, and spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and a vision of hope for the future. We pray for the mission of this church that each of us might be faithful witnesses as agents of your healing love beyond the walls of this building. And we lift prayers for ourselves for the forgiveness of all our shortcomings, known and unknown, for those things we have done and those we have left undone. Enable us to begin again to serve you in newness of life. And now let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The witness of scripture this morning is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food, sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, 
through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge, since some have become so accustomed to idols until now. They still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall.
As the snow was falling on a December Sunday morning, we watched as the landscape began to turn white. Not wanting to cancel worship, we did contact those who had volunteered to serve as greeters that morning to let them know that if they preferred to stay home and share in worship via live streaming, that would be fine. After making several other decisions and calls, we joked that when the seminary church administration class syllabus included the topic, what to do when a Sunday snowfall happens during a global pandemic, we thought that was a good day to skip class because something like that would never happen. Whoops. For almost a year now, the church, like every facet of society and all its institutions, have been hitting the reset button. How are we to do school, be a team, meet as a group, be the church? It's the kind of question that is seldom welcomed and most often forced by circumstances. Yet, it's not a bad question to ask. What does it mean to be a couple, a family, a neighborhood, a city? What do we value and how do we live those values as consistently as possible? Questions that always consider matters of power and relationship. Questions like these are not new to the church. Questions that the church at its most courageous might even welcome. Historian Phyllis Tickle suggests that about every 500 years, the church experiences a major reformation as is currently happening. We remember around the year 1500, the church saw a major upheaval we know as the Protestant Reformation. Around the year 1000, the church experienced the East-West Schism, and around the year 500, the church was similarly challenged to rethink and reform itself as the Roman Empire declined. And 500 years before that, the church, in response to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, was both forming and reforming all at the same time. That may be the way of religion, that a core set of ideas is affirmed, and then over the years, commentary is added to the core ideas until there comes a day when someone or some movement will say, what are the basics of faith? If we had to boil it down to one or two statements, what would we say? Moses came down the mountain with Ten Commandments. But as some have observed, there was really only one commandment and the following nine were commentary. Prophets, always good at calling people back to the core of faith, even if sometimes their voices could be strident and maybe even confrontive. Micah, another prophet, summarized faith beautifully this way, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy 
and to walk humbly with God. Jesus was being formative and reformative at the same time when someone asked him, if you had to summarize or say what is the most important of all the laws, what would you say? We can summarize Jesus's response in five words, love God and love neighbor. In a hymn written in 1969, Fred Pratt Green offers this summary of faith. The Church of Christ in every age, beset by change but spirit-led, must claim and test its heritage and keep on rising from the dead. Another recent hymn provides a summary statement. They'll know we are Christians by our finishing that phrase with a very good word. There are other words that speak well of faith that can also follow they'll know we are Christians by our. Perhaps one way to read the history of Christianity is to learn how people have finished that sentence. Since the church at its best is always a living body responsive to a living word rather than a stone-cold immutable institution, it is simply in our nature to always be forming and reforming a responsive community to the wondrous movement of the Spirit of God. Efforts to nail down the church notwithstanding, there has never been a time when this has not been true. People were gathered in Jerusalem one day, a day that has been called the birth of the church, and we know it as Pentecost, as the wind of God ignites and engages people in a way previously unimaginable. From that birthday on, the church, like any living entity, grows and transforms. We have a peek into one such moment of growth from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. That church, which must have put a few gray hairs on Paul's head, and yet also inspired Paul to write some of the most encouraging and enlightening words ever written about the church. The issue at hand seems inconsequential now, even as it was to many in the Corinthian church then. Eating food that had been dedicated to one of the variety of idols from that day. Even though Paul says such an offering is nothing because there is only one God, if eating something offered to an idol causes another person to stumble in their faith, and Paul said, don't do it. We would not miss the deeper concern at hand. Matters of liberty and responsibility. Matters of individuality and community, matters of strength and vulnerability, matters of freedom and compassion. It is all in play at the church in Corinth, and it is still at play 2,000 years later. As Brian Moss has written, 
Paul writes a congregation of people at Corinth as committed to freedom as are so many in our pews, a people who know their rights and want to exercise them. Paul makes it clear that individual knowledge and liberty are not ultimate concerns for people of faith. Instead, sensitivity to the neighbor, mindful of and caring for the weak and the vulnerable, that, says Paul, is what builds up life. Years later, reformer Martin Luther wrote, the Christian is the perfectly free Lord of all subject to none. The Christian is a perfectly dutiful subject of all, servant to all. So all these years later, and in the midst of a pandemic, we know the assertion of individual liberty and personal rights is nothing more than idolatry of the highest and most selfish order, the ultimate expression of callous indifference. Paul writes, we are to be better than that, not doing what puffs up, but doing what builds up. The way we might address it is, they'll know we are Christians by our. So when we think about the church, and we know there are thousands of ways to be and do church, it might be helpful to remember that the church is Christ's vessel of being present in the world today. The church does not belong to us. And in one sense, we always belong to more than a particular church. For while we live and practice our faith locally, we are part of a larger multicolored tapestry that is Christ's church here and elsewhere. It's a view reflected by the mantra of the Christian church disciples of Christ that we are a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. They'll know we are Christians by our Jesus in gathering those who would be the foundations of the church that would eventually bear his name and still does, assembled an unlikely group of people who could be as obtuse and contrary as anyone. Despite their pledges of fidelity, they mostly fled. But that's not the end of the story. Christianity is not a story about perfection, but it is a story about perseverance. Christianity is not first and foremost a story about individual salvation, but it is a story about community redemption. Christianity is not a story about enlisting Jesus to run errands for us, but it is a story about our being disciples for Christ. 
Christianity is not a story of living in a like-minded echo chamber of righteousness. Let us call that what it is, a clandemic. But it is a vibrant, engaging, and at times even challenging life of reformation and transformation. They'll know we are Christians by our... What then might we say of the church? While we think locally, particularly, we are also always thinking expansively, inclusively. If we've learned anything over the last 11 months, arduous and exhausting, and at times tragic as life has been, may we have learned the importance of doing what we can to be there for one another. We've learned that the phone call, the errand for groceries, the note card sent, is in these times the hand to grab hold of in the dark that helps make the dark a little less daunting. We've learned that nothing, even an act we might consider as inconsequential, is insignificant. And that helps us to realize that every life matters. Every life is consequential. From the neighbor shut in down the street to the neighbor shut out across town in systems that marginalize people based on the color of one's skin or the gender of one's making or the economics of one's history. No matter who or what has determined a people essential, we have been reminded once again that God's creation God's design is proclaimed by God as good. They'll know we are Christians by our. What then might we say of the church? Over the last months, when it has been safest for us to be together even as we maintain distance, we have learned the power and the importance of a place like this sanctuary. Perhaps we've always known that, but maybe we know it deeply now. The beauty, the grandeur, the importance of words that are said here when we bless infants and baptize children and pronounce couples and break bread and remember saints. In a time when many other conversations are full of rancor and many other descriptions are full of hatred, we bear witness to a way of being that is reverent, civil, respectful, kind, nurturing, prophetic, just, are we saying that God is somehow contained herein? Of course not. In fact, how many of us have been reminded of the sanctuary that is God's world, where we have been thrilled anew by the chanting bird, the brilliant sunset, 
the crystal snowflake. And yet, we gather on a Sunday in a unique place to point beyond this place in a spirit of reverence and awe and courage and determination for a better world. They'll know we are Christians by our What then might we say of the church? Perhaps we have learned amidst the very real struggles we endure, and certainly some much more than others, that our days are gifted to us and not that to which we are entitled or have earned. That we are not self-made people, but the inheritors of a great trust and actors in the continuing story of God's way in the world. On any given day, we might feel that more deeply than on other days, but that life is a gift is no less true, and perhaps even more important to remember on the days when it does not feel that way. Our lives are lived in humble and grateful response to the one who is the giver of all our days. They'll know we are Christians by our. We're living in a time when the reset button is being engaged by most everything and everyone in the world something the church at its best and most courageous is always doing. In the 1960 hymn, Renew the Church, Kenneth Cober summarized that work with these words. Teach us to love with strength of heart and mind, each and all humankind. Break down old walls of prejudice and hate. Leave us not to our fate. As you have loved and given your life to end hostility and strife, oh, share your grace from heaven above. Teach us, God, how to love. So, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our